mission to explore the far reaches of cinema. Three daring adventurers dive deep into the Criterion and beyond. These are the tales of their adventures. This is Cynonauts! Hey, this is Ian. I'm Boom. This is Catcher. And welcome to the eighth episode of Cynonauts Exploring the Criterion Ooh. and Beyond. We're here to celebrate fellow Cynonaut Catcher's birthday it's me. as he <laughs> dramatically picked out of nowhere our second Criterion edition episode, Darren Aronofsky's The Fountain. Mm. Uh, we are going to chat about that, making all of Catcher's dreams come true. <laughs> Wasn't it? Wasn't it amazing? Don't tell anybody anything yet. <laughs> we're going to have to hold on that. Uh, but before we get to that, let's catch up a little bit. Boom. What did you watch this week? Oh, my goodness. Okay. So I watched a whole bunch of like whatever movies with whatever plots. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, I don't know. It's that time of year where it's like winter blues and like holiday stress are kind of just like lurking. So like everything I'm doing is kind of like rooted in self-care. And to me that kind of, well, with like movies and stuff, that's kind of just like predictable and like light kind of things. Um, So I watched Last Christmas uh, Mm -hmm. starring Khaleesi and I I can't remember what her real. Henry Golding. (laughs) Henry Golding, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, now that you said Khaleesi, it's stuck in my head. Uh, Amelia Clark. Amelia Clark, yeah. So I watched that movie and it was just so silly. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but the whole, the movie is just like a play on the Wham song, like Last Christmas I yes. Gave You My Heart, because she just like falls in love with the ghost of the guy who like was the guy who gave her a heart transplant the year before. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it was wild. It was so silly, but it was kind of cool because it's shot in London and I go to visit um, a good friend of mine. She's Catcher's friend oh God, as well. Yeah, and she... Uh, so she London's lives- my favorite city. Mine, it's so cool. Mine too. I think I've been there like seven times and I like... Oh, n- my. Never get sick of being there or like going there or exploring because it's just so big but it's awesome yeah Yeah. a few years ago we went on a ghost tour during Halloween and so that film was actually shot in like I guess it was all in the same area but it was shot in a few of the spots that we went to on the ghost tour so I was like this is kind (laughs) of fun um, were they haunted so in yeah. the movie? Like, was it like a, a thing that well, they brought I guess it up it was, or did, was it just like a backdrop? I guess, well, no, like it, it wasn't, they weren't haunted places in the movie, but I guess everywhere in the movie was haunted because what's his face is a ghost. Oh, right, right, so. okay, right, right, <laughs> right, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, so I did that. And then I also did a rewatch of uh, Les Mis because I guess I just wanted mm. to like double down on Hugh Jackman content, um, sure. which was fun. Um, well, not really fun. It's kind of a depressing movie, <laughs> yeah. but I really like the first act of the film. Like, I think it's so well done and I almost wish they would just kind of like end it, uh, when he like gets the girl, like when he gets Cosette, that was pretty much it. And I'll just never forget, give that movie for casting, uh, Russell Crowe as Javert, <laughs> Javert, <laughs> Sophie, don't, <laughs> Sophie, don't. So if you don't voicemail us, but Please don't. Um, yeah, because he's already like a hard character to kind of like sell and just Russell Crowe just does such a bad job. And yeah, yeah. so that's what I got up to. Nothing too exciting. 
some just fun, light stuff. Catcher, how about you? Other than prepping for the biggest night of uh, your life. That's all, that's all I thought about seriously all week. It's so great. Uh, I played some Cyberpunk. That was fun. Oh, man. Wait, do you you have it on PS4, right? Can you even play the game? Does it even run? Yes. Okay. Everyone just needs to calm down. Lower their expectations <laughs> wow. a little bit. And just enjoy. The game is a great game. It has crashed a few times. And I have had <laughs> one crash that was, like, annoying. But the game itself is really impressive, and I know that they'll work to update it and have it be playable. Listen, it's not going to look like the PC. Everybody knew that. Right, So yeah. let's, let's relax about that and calm down. It's not going to look like ray tracing. <laughs> but it's fun. I think the gameplay itself is really outstanding. So, yeah. yeah, I'm excited to play it. I also was skimming Netflix and just trying to find something light and whatever to watch. and a, Whatever plots. Oh, some whatever, whatever plots. plots, exactly. And I come across this title, this film called, what is it called? Innocent Moves. And it looked, appeared to be about chess. And I was like, cool, what a great name for chess. Then it turned out that that was just uh, searching for Bobby Fischer, the movie. Oh. And it's just the UK title of the movie. And Netflix was trying to like pull a fast one on me <laughs> and uh, thought I would. Better, and they were successful. And they were 100% successful. Uh, so that was a whatever movie, but there's a lot of great actors in it. So definitely worthwhile mm-hmm. checking out. Um, and then the only other thing was, uh, this thing called Canada land. It's a podcast. And I've been mm-hmm. really interested in trying to get like, uh, Canadians specific news. Cause so mm-hmm. much of it is like comes in from like the American side of stuff, you know, even just like tech news and things like that. Right. Uh, and they had an episode this week called Loblaws will eat us. Any of our Canadian fans will know what Loblaws oh. is. And it uh, covers a story called Is the Weston Family the Canadian Jeff Bezos? And it just yes. talks about they are like this billionaire company in Canada. They run like grocery stores and pharmacies and all kinds oh, of God. banks and stuff. Um, and basically they are really big on the data collection and have been doing it sort mm-hmm. of on the low key for many, many years. And it's and stiffing their front line workers. Yes. And also uh, price uh, like... They were controlling price of bread, basically, in a really fucked up way. Oh, I, I know. I got one of those gift cards. Yeah. And that gift card. I didn't card, even buy bread from Loblaws. <laughs> right. That gift card you got, the only way to get that gift card was to give a whole bunch of your own information out and data. Now and they now they've me. got it. So it's like, it's just a, a, an eye-opening thing of being like, hey, check it out. This is what they're doing. Everyone is getting pulled into it and keep your eyes open. And I was just going to say like a common phrase with me and my friends, like when we talk about wanting to get rich, but like in a cool way, yeah. we always talk about getting that Loblaws money because it's like the fancy grocery store. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with the nice cheese section. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So that's, uh, that was what I, I was listening to. It's episode 350 of Canada Land. Uh, Loblaws. We'll eat you. When I hear Loblaws, I think of Arrested Development. Bob Loblaws, Loblog. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I thought it was an Arrested Development joke. Reference no, sorry there, about that. That's it's a, a Canadian grocery store. Canadian grocery store. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, on my end, I uh, was in Target a couple of weeks ago, and I picked up the Batman animated series Blu-rays that were mm. on sale. Uh, I've always heard, I, I, I used to watch it when I was a kid and I always heard that it like really holds up and it's like not really a children's cartoon show. And both mm-hmm. of those are true. It's really sweet. The artwork is awesome. The voice acting is great. The music's great. Um, the, nice. the themes are very like not for kids. Like in one episode that I saw, um, 
the Sandman shows up in his, for those who aren't familiar with Batman, the Sandman's an evil villain and he creates this like gas that makes people see their worst nightmares. And Oof. so the first time he sees it, it's like the guy sees spiders and like, you know, that's typical. But then when he uses it on Batman, Batman just sees visions of his father calling him a failure and how he's like disappointed him. And Ooh. I was like, Jesus, that is Oof. some heavy stuff. <laughs> some heavy stuff for, for kids to watch. Uh, and then I just watched one about a guy who was kidnapping kids and making them live in the sewers and they couldn't see the sun. So just pretty oh. crazy stuff, but it's really good. The artwork's fantastic. Like the design of it all is really cool. Um, cool. Yeah, the episode fun. with uh, Clayface. I haven't gotten there yet. I'm sure I've seen it at when, some point, but I don't remember. When you get to that one, you'll know it's like he's the, he becomes Clayface. It's a, there's an effect where his face becomes mushy. Uh-huh. And you'll know. That's all I have to say. And just remember nice. that. Yeah, it's, I love that, that show. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's actually, honestly basically what I've been pretty busy this week. So that was most of my watching, ah. sort of doing that. Tis the season. Tis the season. And speaking of the season, next week, the Synonauts, we're going to be doing our first ever flight crew selection episode. Uh, this is our first time experimenting with it. Um, we're going to see how it goes and how we can change it for future episodes. But basically, we are going to be going through a list of about 40 or so holiday movies. This is any holiday, uh, not Christmas specific. Um, and off a list of criteria, we are all going to individually draft five films to create our holiday Synonauts flight crew for each of us. And then people can vote on social media um, who they think selected the best, best flight crew. We'll go into more detail about the rules next week, but basically we're going to be selecting from five different categories, classic Christmas, wild card, so any movie about any holiday, a genre, like animated musical comedy, a genre, horror, sci-fi, action, and then a host choice. And we've been compiling like a list of 40 or so films, and the rules are once a movie is picked, you cannot pick it anymore. So Oof. we're going to be drafting strategically to make the best <laughs> flight crew for people to see. How do you, are you guys excited about this? I'm really pumped on this. I'm, I'm ready excited. to be cutthroat. I'm ready yeah. to be cutthroat. I'm here to win. A little friendly competition between three fire signs. That always goes well. <laughs> <laughs> None of us will take it personally. None of us. Yeah. Uh, so make sure you tune in to that next week for our special holiday flight crew selection episode. Um, and head over to our IG. We'll be posting questions for people to submit some movies also that they think should be added into the list for our selections. But now let's get to it. Catcher's been shaking in his boots, Oof. sweating for the last 20 minutes of recording. Uh, <laughs> All to day. Discuss this giddy. movie. All I've day he's been giddy. <laughs> so Catcher, where are you taking us? All right, everyone, jump into the uh, time machine. That's right. We're going back to 1999. Darren Aronofsky is turning 30 years old. He's in the middle of making Requiem for a Dream. Both of his parents, unfortunately, uh, get cancer. And so they're going through treatment. And he sees the Matrix. And he's blown away by it. He feels like this is a huge standout film in science fiction, like 2001 and Star Wars before it. And decides like he wants to work, he wants to work on a sci-fi film. He wants to make the next great sci-fi film. So him and his friend Ari Handel, they go on these long walks and talk about these themes, you know, of death, mortality, science fiction, all of that kind of thing. And from these conversations comes the fountain. 
So he writes the screenplay based on the story uh, that they wrote together. And in 2001, he has a meeting with WB and sits down and lays out what he wants to do and ends up hooking up with Brad Pitt. And he signed on to the movie. And Kate Blanchett is signed on to the movie. And they start pre-production in Australia. Things are going great. WB gets uh, shaky and concerned about where the direction of the movie is going, all this money that's being spent. They sort it out. And then Brad Pitt turns around and walks out of the movie and uh, goes and makes Troy. Mm. <laughs> and so the movie is now totally screwed. They have a whole pre-production that's going on for a $70 million movie in Australia. Things are being built. All this stuff is going on. So a whole bunch of people lose their jobs. And they're basically nowhere. Uh, so it was during the initial talks with WB where Aronofsky reserves the rights for the graphic novel. And once this whole film is destroyed by WB and everything gets closed off, he decides to take the script, goes to, WB, uh, goes to DC and Vertigo, and gets it turned into a graphic novel. And during that time, he's getting all these pages from uh, the artist who is working on the graphic novel, and it inspires him to take the story back up, rework it for a smaller budget, and brings it back to WB, and they decide for half the budget, $35 million, they will take this movie and they'll make it. And they go to Montreal, and that's where they make the film. And during this process, he sees The Boy from Oz, I believe it's called, mm -hmm. starring Hugh Jackman. And... Uh, He's totally blown away, and he's like, please, I need you to come and make this film with me. I want you to be the lead. He agrees, and uh, he suggests Rachel Weisz to come on and play the main female character, and they go off again, like I said, to Montreal, and they make The Fountain. Releases in 2006 and captures my heart. <laughs> and that's why we're here. So that's sort of the background of The Fountain. Um, For... For people yeah. who didn't watch, um, yes. uh, can we get a quick synopsis on what the film is about? Or should of we have course. Boom do it? Because no, no. You're, not, <laughs> your emotions will get you too high. So basically, the story, for all of you guys who have not watched it, I understand it's probably most of you when listening to this. But hopefully that <laughs> will change when we're done here. Uh, so it's a sci-fi love story that traces the stories of three couples through time and space. So there are there is Tomas Verde, who is a conquistador from Spain, and he's sent on a mission to find the tree of life for the queen, who's back in Spain and is in the middle of the Spanish uh, Inquisition. Inquisition. Thank you. Then it's a, a more modern setting where we have Tommy Creo, who is a neurosurgeon, and he's working tirelessly to find a cure for his wife's uh, terminal brain tumor. She's dying of cancer, and he is a scientist working desperately to find a cure for his wife. And the final story revolves around Tom Creo, a space traveler kept companion in his bubble ship by a tree and haunting visions, flying through infinite space towards a dying star. So these are the three stories that are sort of like interweaving in and out of each other. Some are real, some are not. These are the questions. That's the or fountain. maybe they're all real, or maybe they're all not real. Exactly. It, it should be noted that uh, the character of Tom, Tomas, Tommy is all played by Hugh Jackman. Correct. And then the character of Izzy or Isabel or the Queen are all played by Rachel Weisz. Uh, mm -hmm. And the story basically 
Rachel Weiss, again, as she's dying, she's writing this book. And as Hugh Jackman's character is reading this book, which he gets like, you know, he, we see what's going on in the past of this Tomas Spanish Inquisition storyline. I have never seen this movie. I'm a big fan of Darren Aronofsky and Mm -hmm. I love basically all his movies, but Mm -hmm. I had actively avoided this one because I had just heard like not good things about it. I I enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun watch. Oh, thank God. Yeah, I thought it was cool. (laughs) I mean, I mean, if I'm being real, I'd be real, be real. I'm not putting it like above, definitely not above Black Swan, Mother or The Wrestler. But, you know, I do like it. Like I enjoyed it more than Noah, Pi, I would say. And you can't really say you enjoy Requiem for a Dream. That's that's a hard movie to rate or discuss at all. But, you know, it, it it was it was not what I expected. Um. I thought it was cool. Boom. Have you, had you seen this before? Yeah. So I actually saw this in theaters when it came out. I was pretty stoked for it. I was a huge fan of Requiem for a Dream because I'm... Sicko. Yeah, exactly. I don't know why. It's just, it's a very good film, even though it's quite dark. Um, but I also, I also like this movie. Like, I agree with you, Ian. I don't think... It's Aronofsky's like strongest film, mm-hmm. but it's kind of nice to get a little bit of like a lighter yes. side from him. Like, I still think it's like very formulaic for him. Like, you know, it's like the protagonist is like super ambitious mm-hmm. and is kind of like erring on the side of becoming self-destructive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all, I feel like all his films kind of like fall into that cycle, mm-hmm. but this one is just a little bit, um, even though it's tackling bigger themes, it's, a bit of an easier pill to swallow with a bit of a nicer, yeah, yeah, vibe to it. Yeah, not nearly as stressful as his other films. Uh, <laughs> Catcher, what was your relationship with this movie? Did you love it just yeah. like right from the get go? Uh, truthfully, yes. Like, mm. so I, I had heard of him because of Requiem for a Dream. I had been doing a play in high school, and we were doing Hamlet, mm-hmm. and we used the Requiem soundtrack as sort of like the climactic music, um, which was cool. It was like a showdown. It was like a chess showdown and then a guns and stuff. It was a whole thing. Um, But I love that movie so much. And I heard he was, uh, I'd seen a trailer for The Fountain, this like kind of cool sci-fi three time period thing. And I was really intrigued. Mm -hmm. And it played at this shitty theater in Brampton. I paid like four (laughs) bucks to go and see it. And I went in and they started the movie early because I was the only one that showed up. And then this guy came in and sat like one row in front of me, like right in front of me. And I was like, dude, you have a whole theory. You can sit anywhere. Why do you got to sit in front of me? Anyway, so the movie plays and uh, the way it was projected, all of the subtitles for the Mayan people mm-hmm. were mm-hmm. cut off. So I had no idea what they were saying the whole time. And so I was just watching and I was like, he doesn't even care what they're saying. It's not important what they're saying. Just watch the movie. And so I just watched the movie. And... It's all about body language. Exactly. You know, um, visual storytelling people. Hello. And mm-hmm. so I walked out of that movie and it was the most like a movie had ever challenged me in terms of trying to understand it. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I experienced this thing, which I've only experienced a couple more times, which is I don't know everything that just happened, but I know what I saw. I liked, and I really yeah. just want to see it again because I want to break it down. And it became the way I love movies it's like mm. i want to watch it i want to get inside it i want to talk about it i want to figure it out and like the movies that challenge me the most are always the movies in the end that have 
I've in, uh, embraced the most of the ones mm-hmm. that challenged me. And the, this was sort of the first one that really did that. And it's every time I go back to it, I've genuinely figured out or learned something new about the movie. And that's to me, the, the best sign of a great movie. Yeah. There is a lot to unpack mm-hmm. in this movie. Especially for such a short film, I think yeah. it's funny how much we're given well, this totally. movie, to unpack. Yeah. What's kind of cool is like that opening scene that you will, we'll t- I mean, we'll talk about what's going on, but the opening scene where there's like the battle sequence in the original film with Brad Pitt, that was going to be like Helm's Deep level, like <laughs> Lord of the Rings ginormous battle. And because of the time cut well because of the pay cut obviously they had to reduce that but also he was sort of like turned off by how many movies were doing that it was like super stoked to really like tighten it up and the mm-hmm. movie became this like tighter leaner uh, more efficient film that was less bombastic it was great efficient is a good way to put it there's only like what four or five like actual set pieces in this whole yeah. film right there's the mayan temple um, slash like Tree of Eden, I guess, or Garden of Eden, you get a glimpse of. You get the laboratory, you get their house, you mm-hmm. get the spaceship thing. That's yeah. that's about <laughs> it, right? You get a little bit of like a street here and there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I think is cool because it's sort of, I think it makes like the very daunting concept and plot line of this movie much more digestible yeah. when you're yeah. sort of really just focusing on the characters of like what's going on. I think it's funny that for our both of our editions so far, it's been like these like weird sci-fi movies that were ready to just like rep to the end. Right. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. Like I'm a fan. Like I'm down with like romantic sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I just feel like this film has like big sci-fi like epic energy, mm-hmm. and it like gets really simplified. Which in like on one hand, I think it kind of works in its favor because you're just kind of like, okay, like taking everything for what it is. But for example, like the whole solving death thing, I feel like they just like don't acknowledge the actual implications of like preventing death. Mm -hmm. Like that would be an absolute disaster. (laughs) And but they're like, who cares like that it would destroy the earth? Like he loves his wife, so it doesn't matter. So it's kind of, I feel like while I'm watching the movie, I'm accepting that fact. I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. small scale, like I'm into this. But then after I'm kind of feel, felt like a little robbed almost. I agree. Well, and I'll, I'll go to it, talk a little bit more about it later, but I have the graphic novel uh, that they made. I bought that and just reading it. It's really interesting to see um, how similar the two stories are, but Mm -hmm. how much how many little bits of information that they completely remove or that they do through visual uh, storytelling in the movie that just would help sort of piece things together for the people watching it that just Mm -hmm. don't get put in there that he let leaves to you not to figure out on your own. I think what's cool about the movie and the thing that is the most fascinating to me is it is a little, I I heard it described sort of like a Rubik's cube. Mm -hmm. And what I think that's cool about it is like, Anything you need to answer the riddles of the movie are in the movie. It's not mm-hmm. like you have to put two and two together on your own. Like there's actually enough in the film, maybe not on your first viewing, but after yeah. your second or third or fourth viewing, all the pieces are there. It's a matter of just like taking the time to find them. 
And I just I think that's that. what's really cool about that. But I agree, Boom. It's, I wish sometimes it could get bigger and, and embrace that sort of like epicness that I think it wants. Yeah. He kind of saves all that for the final, for the last like 20 Push. minutes. Like yeah. the last yeah. 20 minutes are, are pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, specifically yeah. like the, the scene where, uh, you know, Hugh Jackman's his space Tom version. He, oh no, sorry. This is Tomas. <laughs> space this Tom. is Tomas. When he gets to the garden of Eden, he drinks the tree milk. Oh, I'm yeah. assuming it's milk. And then like the plants, the, I'll say milk. <laughs> and then the plants like grow out of his body. I was so like, holy cool. shit. I was like, there it is. That I was, was like, wild. I was waiting and, for like the Aronofsky touch there. And that's. Yeah. <laughs> and the music. All yeah. practical. All of that stuff coming out of him is all like practical in camera effects. Like oh, really? None of, it's, none of it's CG. There's like almost no CG in this movie. There's, so was it like time lapse? Like what? That so was he, that was so cool. So he's like in a fake floor. Uh-huh. And this guy, they brought on this guy who had just recently created a special effect for a commercial of bursting flowers. Huh. So they mm-hmm. built a body and put these little mechanisms inside the body. And then just and his then, head's popping out. And or then whatever. his head is the, is above the floor and everything else just spurts out of that. And then he's got one <laughs> on like a spring that pops out of his mouth and stuff. It's crazy, man. Yeah, that scene was cool. Um, yeah. But before we dive into those, let's let's chat about the meat of this. So there's lots of discussion online as to whether or not this is a linear story. Is Tom, mm. is, uh, Tom Tomas... And Izzy, are they living this life multiple times through or are they the same person from the Mayan era where she is the queen? Or is it more he is dreaming it himself? Uh, He being Hugh Jackman is dreaming what's going on based on the book. Is it just strictly like what the book is having on paper and he's actually not seeing any of this? It's just on page. Mm. Where do you where do you guys fall on this? I have a pretty strong opinion one way. I'd like you guys to go first, I think. And I'll come in at the end. Okay. So I, I do kind of enjoy the Rubik's Cube analogy because I think that's exactly how my journey with this felt. Like I, I didn't watch the movie twice, but I watched the ending again after mm-hmm. like I did the viewing for this. And then I kind of just wanted, I guess I'm bored and just like needed something to do. So I actually didn't look anything up online. I was like, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm a big girl. Yes. And I actually kind of That's sprung- a cool way to do it though. For this movie. Yeah, that's cool. I feel like it's like the more painful route, but um, (laughs) so the first, okay. So the first viewing, I was just like, okay, like I've got this. And my first thought was like the conquistador story was like, obviously Izzy's book Mm -hmm. and that present and future Tom were like real because Mm -hmm. you get like all kind of like that visual confirmation with him, like tattooing, the like rings on his arm, like a tree. And he kind of, he's like, look at all the years I've spent, like whatever. I was like, those two are real. And then, but then it got tricky because I was like, okay, so he went back and like planted the tree on her grave. So I think, so he's like solved death and he's traveling to Shabalba for like to do the rebirth thing with the tree. Um, but yeah, but then that just doesn't make any sense because I'm just like, how would he achieve like time travel Cause he like appears in like the conquistador story as space Tom and just like those things just don't connect. And it's like, how did he get the seed from Izzy to plant the tree? So I was like, okay. So I went back and watched the ending for a second time and I was like, okay, now I've realized a few things. So 
Um, <laughs> I love this. This makes me so Sorry. happy. No, this is perfect. This is all I've ever wanted. This is all I've ever wanted. Okay. So when Tom and Izzy are on the roof, Izzy straight mm-hmm. up says that her book like starts with like the conquistador story and ends with mm-hmm. Shavalba. Mm-hmm. And she also talks about like the acceptance of death and like that being the road to awe. And Tom is obviously like really struggling with this. He can't accept her death. He can't accept his own. He thinks death is a disease. Um, so I think future Tom is actually like a part of the book. So I think what we're seeing is just, it's all like present Tom's kind of like projection and him finishing the book. So I think like the conquistador story is yes, the book. And then I also think that the, like a little bit of like the present Tom story and future Tom story are also him just like becoming enlightened and accepting Mm -hmm. death. And then like all that, like reincarnation time travel stuff is just the book. And like, we don't need to know about that. So yeah, that's where I think that's where I landed with it, but I'm interested to see what you guys had to say. And I'm sorry it took me so long to get that up. I I agree with you. So I think, I think almost all of it is in the book. Um, obviously not the present day stuff. And I think like the, cause you know, the flashbacks or flash forwards, I guess, space Tom timeline sort of comes, comes and pops up when he is like feeling like most vulnerable. So I think, and you know, his, we first meet space Tom sort of like floating there, right. Like doing his Zen thing. And I think it represents like his inner, like chi right? Or his inner sanity. Yeah. And, you know, once he finally accepts his wife, his wife's death, that's when he yeah. is able to like ascend out of totally. this spaceship he's in. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I thought that was pretty clear, especially like the conquistador part. I had, I never at one point thought this that, is that like, real. that this was like tree of life timeline and he is like living the whole way. Like I never thought that at all. And I think yeah. like mm-hmm. by the end, it's pretty clear, especially when he gets eaten alive by like the, you know, whatever Flowers. it's called. Oh, yeah. um, so I think that's all like part of the book. So my only question I had there on that storyline is like, did she know that Izzy know that they had been sort of looking for regenerative trees because it is in the book, right? That this tree yeah. has like this special power and the tree ends up being the thing that helps save that monkey. Which that was a pretty hilarious reveal. I thought that was pretty oh, funny. That, like it just shows. I've you never laughed at that, and like I've. I thought it was. Hilarious. I saw that people's reaction a few times. Was like that's a funny reveal. The monkey. Well, because the build up is so dramatic, and yeah. then they're just like <laughs> monkey. Yeah. Like okay. <laughs> so, but you know, it does show her Izzy. It shows Izzy Rachel Vice in the lab, like pretty casually. So yeah. I think she could have taken bits and parts of like their life. I think that was my pretty quick question yeah. solve for that. But yeah, I agree with you, Boom. I think basically everything is in the present day and yeah. he, you know, the, the space stuff is his sort of inner, uh, self conscious, his inner consciousness. And then yeah. all the past stuff is strictly the past stuff. Yeah. Uh, catcher. What do you okay. think? So when I first watched it, I had no idea. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> like, none of this makes any sense. Who's who, what, what, whatever. Um, but like as succinctly as I can, to me, what's happening is you have the Spanish conquistador number one. That's mm-hmm. the book. Mm-hmm. Then the mo- modern day stuff is the modern day stuff. It's just the stuff that's taking place. It's that main storyline. It's the sort of like thing that connects them sort of. 
And then the last one is him having, they've conquered death, mm. right? And, and so his whole thing is he's trying to get her, he's trying to, he's trying to hold on to her. And so what he does is he wants to give her this gift and go and bring her to Shabal- Shabalba, whatever it's called. Yeah, Shabalba. Shabalba. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that tree is the tree that he plants at the end, and he's taking it with him. And it's him, he's going there with bad intent in that Mm -hmm. he's trying to bring this tree back to life. That's the whole premise, is he wants to use the energy from the whatever to bring this tree back to life. And it's a a long journey. And it's through that journey that he sort of has to work through all the things he refused to work through while she was alive. Mm -hmm. And it's it's been his entire journey to deflect, deflect, deflect everything and it's only in the final moments that he's been able to look back, understand everything, and maybe not physically write the book, but in his mm-hmm. mind he's writing the book. And yeah. that the, unlocking that unlocks his willingness to accept death and mm-hmm. and give not giving up but giving in. So you That's do think I, it is. You how do you, you do, do think, think it's, that storyline carries out? Yeah, and the idea of like him going back and the ring is like Right. Is the ring missing and is he, he's floating there, all of that stuff. It's just, it's all to create a visual cohesiveness. Right. But mm-hmm. to me, it's like, it's all not necessary. It's not important whether or not it's real or not. Like, that's not the point. The point is like the, the metaphors that are going on and the themes he's discussing. Yeah. Which is maybe a cheat, but I don't know. <laughs> I, thought it, I thought the last 20 minutes was going to be like an asteroid coming to Earth blowing it up he happens to be by this tree because like the way that that the spaceship tree set is it's like it looks like all like everything around the tree is sort of like exploded around it yeah right. so i thought like an asteroid is going to come he's like hugging this tree and he then that is what keeps him alive and he's oh. just like floating onto space so i was like for sure that's going to happen <laughs> i was like yeah. aaron he's like definitely going to do this like an asteroid's going to hit and this tree saved his ass and he's gonna be flying to jibalba so obviously had that happen i thought for sure that would have been the storyline but yeah, I don't know. I, I still think it's it's largely internal. Yeah. It hits you right in the feels. I had never considered that interpretation until yesterday when I heard someone else discuss something similar on a, like some research and podcast listening I was doing. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. interesting you both felt that found that too, like that this yeah. uh, that all of it was part of a story. And I think that's actually quite compelling and like much more interesting. And now I just have to go back and watch it again with this idea in mind. Yeah. Like, I think he's intentionally kind of like presenting you with puzzle pieces and being like, okay, like figure this out for yourself. Like, I think the way that the plot unfolds is relatively vague, but you are given all these like emotional tools to kind of work with. Right. And it's just kind of like what, what your own perspective of like these things are like love, death, like, you know, enlightenment, all that. And where that kind of takes you with it. There's a very clear like visual language of the film. Mm, I mean, obviously gold is, is pretty clear throughout it. Like the lab gold is like the only light color is gold in that whole sequence. There's a lot of obviously greens kind of, and like blacks, but gold, I think is shadow. Yeah. The shadow is like, 
you know, even where they do that upside down shot where he's like on the horse and mm. it flips over to all the gold lights or on the car. It's all they the do gold. it again so, with the car and the ship. Yeah. They, they, they do like the, these repeated images yeah. over and over. Yeah. 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 So I'm, so that's why I also think like, I'm curious if like the visual cues or the lighting kind of yeah. gives more hints as to what really is going on. But I also saw the repetitiveness as him like visioning himself in these various situations, but just yeah. like, and like putting him in his place and like his mind is having him, um, to recreate the similar thing over and over again. How did you guys feel about like the visual tone of the film overall? Wow. It's beautiful. Yeah. I, I think Darren Aronofsky, he's like, obviously he's a very like, you know, fans have a very complex relationship with Darren Aronofsky because basically he does not make a movie that is for everyone. Like his movies are yeah. all so hard to watch, not just like, thematically but just like visually they're difficult to watch like everything about it there it's if you're gonna watch an Aaron yeah. Austin movie you have to like zero in and focus um but I still think he's one of like one of the essential directors of the last 20 30 years totally, like he, yeah. I think he's super important and typically his visual style is very like clear to me like lots of fast cuts like very like manic handheld camera yeah. kind of stuff like Black Swan Mother obviously is like that Wrecking for a Dream um The Wrestler but this was a lot more like of a patient sort of Aronofsky, mm-hmm. which I did appreciate um, mm-hmm. because I think telling, trying to tell the same story with like a million, you know, with three, sorry, with three different storylines yeah. jumping between each other, I think it would have been too complicated to sort of keep up. And I think you would have lost a lot of like the emotional beauty and emotional storytelling in the film if it was like a typical yeah. Aronofsky like <laughs> shit show. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I think it worked really well. I like feel like I have a little bit of a differing opinion. Like I actually didn't find this film to be like very visually exciting. Mm-hmm. If I mean, like I thought the space stuff was cool and like just no doubt stunning. Like when he's in the in the space bubble, um, and I kind of understand what he was like going for with the use of like light and darkness, mm-hmm. and like you've got all these earthy tones. But I just thought it was like pretty like monochromatic and and dull Mm. and I don't know it kind of looks like they're just using this like glossy like sepia filter over it like do you remember (laughs) those like filters we used to use on like MySpace and yeah I like I I just I visually was just like I don't love this like I don't love what what they're doing and I think I've seen films with like and I'm specifically talking about like the use of light and color like Mm -hmm. I just think it was it was a little, I've seen films that have used like similar palettes and like, I'm thinking of like Melancholia. Have you seen mm-hmm. that one? And it's just like, those ones are just so much better done. I, mm. And I like the idea of like Izzy being enlightened and like, I like the, the way they use light to like represent her and like represent her essence. But yeah, it just kind of felt cheap to me. Like there's mm. just something. Yeah. In terms of like some of the visual storytelling techniques and stuff they're using, there's always a lot of a movement from darkness to light. That's mm-hmm. sort of the whole premise. So the beginning of the movie is incredibly dark. Yeah. Like it's really hard to see what's even happening. The end of the film obviously is like a fade to white. So then, you know, that's sort of the, that transition. Then there's mm-hmm. a lot of moving through hallways to a point of light. Mm-hmm. That's a, another thing. So in each version there is that shot Ian that you've mentioned where it's sort of a swinging shot where it's sort of upside down Mm -hmm. and meets them at at the apex and then it sort of 
the camera tilts back up and it follows them through. But there's also just like him running through hallways, that sort of thing. I mean, thing. when Rachel yeah. Vice first leaves the like laboratory, uh, you know, the doors swing open. Go. Yeah. And it's like a, clearly there's a cross there, but that's also light. Yeah. And yeah. When she faints and goes to the hospital, she's looking up at a light and stuff like that. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I got all that. I yeah. That cool. So, there's, yeah. you know, and then each one, each storyline also has like its own shapes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the Spanish Inquisition section is triangles, mm. modern day is rectangles, like the future's circles. Circle, so, that's right. like, yeah. So, I mean, all it's like, it's not, it, and that's the thing about the movie. It's not like, whoa, I just blew your mind. Like, they're really like giving you all the, like, that stuff is not. Right. Uh, complicated to understand. It's like you said, it's helpful in that like you're seeing the same motions go th- going happening to these different characters. And it's allowing you to piece together that those motions have intent and that it's, mm. and you know, and it helps to piece the metaphor together. Let's chat a little bit about um, Rachel Vice and Hugh Jackman. I thought they worked really well together. I mean, I'm, yeah. I was, I, I was like, man, Hugh Jackman hasn't aged. And then Rachel Vice came on. I was like, holy shit, Rachel Vice hasn't aged at all. <laughs> they both look so, they look so good for how old they are now. Like, they, yeah. I mean, they could have filmed these movies yesterday. They look, they look the exact same. Um, what, what did you think about like their relationship and and their their chemistry on screen together? I think it's real. Like for me, I think it's really good like it feels genuine you don't really get a lot of time mm-hmm. to sort of create that connection with them like you, you might normally have a movie like this like it would take much more time but right away you get like who they are as characters he's mm-hmm. a hard-working dude he hasn't mm-hmm. figured out that he needs to chill and spend time with his wife you know mm-hmm. but they're and she's just understanding of his who he is as a person like there's this love and appreciation and understanding of each other and the way they interact the way they touch each other like they do a lot with very little. And I think mm-hmm. that, and a lot of that is in their performance. Yep. Yeah. I I agree with you a hundred percent. Like it's such an interesting time to be like dropping in to their relationship. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. obviously like he's on this, on the brink of like this breakthrough with like medical science and she's like about to die, but it's like, they're still able to maintain this idea of this like unique and powerful and honest love. And that is one thing that is done really, really well. Like I was a hundred percent buying it. I, I was like, yes, they are in love for eternity. <laughs> What's interesting that you never see them like movies like this and movies that involve like where, you know, one protagonist is terminally ill or is dying. They spend a lot mm-hmm. of time in the past showing like how happy yeah. they were, but you only, they never show it. You, all we get to see is that one clip of Rachel Vice in like that red dress sort of calling yeah. to Hugh Jackman's character. And that's all you see. And I thought that was pretty cool um, yeah. because I think it says a lot about their acting and, and the writing, even though they, again, they don't spend much time actually talking about them or talking about yeah. anything in their past, but that little clip and like, that's obviously the one memory he chooses to latch onto for one reason or another. Uh, yeah. I, I thought that worked really well. I thought that was cool. As actors, they really carry it well. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's so well done. And I think Hugh Jackman is probably one of my favorite actors. Yeah. Yeah. I he's think, just honestly, like, he can do anything and yeah. he's just so good. I can't imagine anyone else in this role, but him, like I not just even think, Brad Pitt, not even Brad Pitt. If this, if it were Brad and Kate Blanchett, like, do you think that we, they would be able to kind of like convey the same Blanchett, yes. 
Kate Blanchett's one of my favorite actresses. I think yeah. she's okay. she's fantastic. I, I think would have been fine with her. I also am a fan of Brad Pitt. I think Brad Pitt is a very underrated actor. Like okay. just I think because like he is let me pull up his No, I actually think he's a really great actor. And I normally have nothing but kind words to say about him, but when it comes to this movie, I don't care about Brad Pitt. Believe it or not, I just haven't seen many Brad Pitt movies. Mm-hmm. He's good. I think he's a great actor. Like I think he's not always like in a position to feel like what he's doing is shows off a lot, but I, he's always great in every kind of role. Yeah, but his his last like since okay, so since two thousand, we're just gonna forget about Ad Astra. We're not. Yeah, that. I did not like Ad Astra. I mean, since two thousand eight, Brad Pitt, Burn After Reading, Benjamin Button, mm. which Brilliant. people have their opinions on, Inglorious Bastards, Moneyball, Tree of Life, World War Z. Uh, he's in Twelve Years a Slave for a bit. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know, Ad Astra. Like he has a pretty legit lineup of like movies that are not popcorn flicks that I think. Yeah. You know. totally. And that's just now like that does like that doesn't even have to go back that far. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I think you could have done it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, but I think what's I, but that's the thing. Like I, I'm sure he would have done a great job and I don't doubt that the movie would have been great, but I think there's something, and this is more about who I am as a person versus like what I think the movie is, which is I love that underdog come back from a loss like these are the people that decided to step up and help him and like everyone came in and like did what they had to do to get this thing done and like to me there's something so much so special about that that really has nothing to do with the movie at all Mm -hmm. and but uh, to me just adds to the why the like integrity of yeah exactly yeah um so before we get to our criterion edition determinations uh, catcher, was there anything else you wanted to you been you want to chat about? I mean, obviously there's a million things, but yeah, um, I just like the way that they've decided. Like, there's no C, like I mentioned before, there's no CG in the movie. Like all of the cool space stuff, all of that, all those effects uh, are all done through like micro photography mm-hmm. using like fluids oh. and microorganisms and all this stuff. They shot it like macro micro level. Yeah, micro bio, my, What is yes, micro Mac- photography. <laughs> Macro, yeah. it's when it's really close up. No, but Either it's not way. just macro. It's like microbiology. Like it's like super, like with a sure. telescope and stuff. <laughs> telescope, a microscope. Thanks whatever. for the science lesson. Sorry, everybody. Guys. I'll start again. No, I'm I'll just kidding. Again. I'm no. kidding. I love it. I love it. <laughs> no, so um, yeah, like just that approach just gives it such a timeless look. And just the score is amazing. Like it's mm-hmm. one of my favorite mm-hmm. all-time scores Clint ever. Manziel, like, at it again. Crushing yes. it, like working. Nails it. Really being inspired by like Sigaros and like bands like that with really percussion heavy, uh, sort of like almost droning a little bit. Droning, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Just the way that it peaks at the end when he like when the nebula explodes and just like the music just oh, yeah. soars up and I'm just like, let's go! Like that, that whole last image part is just felt. I, I was like, oh, this is like a music video. He just wanted to make a really cool like ten minute music video, and I thought yeah. it worked. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, I love oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Um, what else? I mean, yeah, the acting is incredible. I just think it's like the little train that could, it's such a great little movie. It gives you uh, so much and with not a lot. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know. I just want everyone to love it. And just, he has spoken that he felt like the DVD release was lacking in special features. Right. And like was super up for a criterion edition where he would be able to like put all of that stuff in. 
And uh, right, he recorded right. a commentary that they refused to put on the DVD. So he recorded it himself <laughs> and like put it on the internet. And I would love that to be on it. And I think it would make such a lovely addition to the Criterion Collection. That's all I feel. Okay. You've, well, you've stated your case. You see, stated Sorry. his case. So I mean, I'm not sure I did. I just loved it and said that a million <laughs> times in different I love ways. It. But uh, so the fountain be not being in the Criterion Collection, this is a Criterion Edition episode where uh, after our discussion, your three synonauts will make the verdict as to whether or not uh, the film should be added to the collection. Catcher, we basically just heard yours. Um, was there anything <laughs> else you wanted to add on top of your ruling? On top of just being visually stunning and being visually inventive, you know, I just think it tells a really strong story with really strong performances. And my criteria moment might surprise you. Mm, okay, okay, okay. Boom. I'm going to you next. <laughs> um, okay, so I think that I actually like really like this film. Like I know I have my things and mm. I they're out in the air now, so <laughs> <laughs> we all know how I feel about it. But I as a whole, like I really enjoy this movie and I and I don't necessarily think it's something that I would kind of like willingly put on you know, over and over again, but it's something that if I were like with somebody and they were like, do you want to watch this? I'd be like, sure. If it were on TV, I'd be like, okay. Like, I feel like, like Ian, at the beginning of the episode, you kind of said that you've had like an aversion to watching this film because you don't want it to kind of like ruin your idea of like, like, or like the strength of like the Aronofsky, like universe. (laughs) But I think that if you are, an Aronofsky fan, you should absolutely watch this film because it's just mm-hmm. got so much heart. It's got so much integrity, integrity. It's very beautiful. Again, it's just like a very, it's on like the lighter side of his films. Um, it's very emotionally driven, which I think all of his films are, but this is just in a very like nice way. Like, yeah, it doesn't and, make you want to die afterwards. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, it does, but in a nice way, in a nice way, yeah. you accept death. Yeah. Right. So no matter what, an Aronofsky <laughs> film will leave you feeling like you want to die. But in this case, in a nice way. And therefore, I think that I would definitely put this in the criterion. Oh. Like, I, I think I think it belongs there. Um, it's it's just it's ambitious. It is well done. And yeah, that's my vibe. That's my verdict. Nice. You, okay, so. Two for three. So Senanas already voted it in, so my vote doesn't really matter. But it matters. Your opinion matters to me. So I, I, I also really enjoyed the movie. I'm a little bummed I didn't like see this. I didn't like watch this in college and like peak like oh you know let's let's figure out what <laughs> films mean sort of thing because I think I would have right. like probably been like really into this movie if it came out then. Um, I really enjoyed it, but like my only thing is that. You know, Aronofsky, I think, is so talented in getting his, like, mm-hmm. messages across and, like, his, like, challenging philosophical and religious themes and things about death and all that sort of stuff. And I think he does it very well. But the my issue is, like, the is the sci-fi-ness yeah. of the movie. Like, I think it works. It, it works fine. But if we're talking, like, philosophical sci-fi movies, I don't put this, like, on the upper tier yeah. of okay. said movies. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it's not it Solaris. It's not 2001. Right. It's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. It can, you can like the movie and not think it should belong in the criteria. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't think yeah. saying it 
it belongs in the criterion means you like it. Like no, you no. can like it and still feel like it doesn't fit within right. the confines of what it is. Yeah. So that that's that's gonna be mine. So I, I'll vote yeah. no. This is a, another two just to one. Just like the last just like, time. Just like the last one. So I guess I'm the most strict okay. uh, judger here. So we'll see. I can't wait to see what your first edition is going to be. I agree. Me too. I'm interested to see. Yeah, we'll see. No, we'll but see. I get what Ian's saying. Cause I, like I said before, I'm like, this movie has like epic sci-fi energy, mm-hmm. but then just kind of like scales it all the way down. And it's like, if you're not willing to accept like what it's bringing to the table and just kind of like, just be okay with this, like very simple even though it doesn't feel simple, it is quite simple story. Right. Then it's just, it does fall short because it does get your expectations up there mm-hmm. for what you think it's going to be. And yeah. then it ends up becoming something else. Again, like I was fully expecting like, like Comet blowing up the earth. He gets shot <laughs> off in this like spaceship. Like that's what kind of my head was at. I was like, Oh, this is going to be like, if, pretty, if that happened, would you let it be? Maybe. In the criteria? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I was expecting like a full left turn from yeah. Aronofsky. Like like the last act of Mother, like that that goes completely yeah. haywire, and I was like kind exactly. of bracing myself for like that level of insanity, and it just never came. I know. Um, so maybe that's why you know that could just be a result of me watching it later in my life after yeah. I've seen all his other films. So what an interesting dude. Well, yeah. it's funny. Yeah. Like I was when I was watching it for this for the episode, um, my girlfriend was interested in watching, mm-hmm. and so I sat there and like every time something came on screen, I'd be like, interesting how that like look how the tree or look at the skin or whatever. And like, so as I was doing it. that, I was You're like, like grooming her opinion. Yeah. yeah kind of like a little bit. And then I was like, as I was doing that, I was like, Oh man, it's all like, it's really all there. Like it's all right there. Like it's, like, yeah. It, yeah. it's not as like complex Me- as complex or dense. It's quite literal. Fine. I yeah. don't mind that. Like yeah. I, I don't like it cause it's complex. I just liked it because of the journey I went on trying yeah. to understand it. The heart um, feels man. It's all yeah. about the heart feels. I agree. I, I think if people have been like too scared, kind of like I was to like watch it because maybe they thought it was like, I don't really want to deal with like this crazy storyline. I don't think you have to worry about that. Maybe yeah. at the time, like a sort of thing like at the time when movies yeah. that did a lot of time played run around, um, it could have been a little bit more dense, but I, I think it's definitely worth, worth a watch now. Absolutely. All right. So let's get to our criterion moments. Uh, Catcher, let's go for you first. What, what's your criterion moment? Okay, so I was trying to, I was thinking really hard because it's like, how do I not, how do I pick one scene out of a perfect movie? It's and you're all picking there. one. Right, so exactly. <laughs> so I decided, oh yeah, so it's the scene where uh, Ellen Bernstein's character is confronting uh, Tommy about how he's sort of blown past this de aging situation that they've come across mm-hmm. in their studies mm-hmm. and he because it doesn't cure it doesn't shrink the size of the tumor so he's just blaring right past it and he's moving forward because he's got to save his wife and she's like in, she comes up to him and she's like what are you doing what's going on we've got to do this we've got to work on this first and then we'll go back to the stuff that you're working on with regards to cancer and he's like by the time we do that she'll be dead like he has this line where he's just like she'll be dead by then and just mm-hmm. his makes me tear up like every time I see it because like this is a dude who wants nothing more than to like save this woman's life mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. he is like for the first time in the film really confronting those feelings and it is too much for him to bear and it is the thing that sort of propels him through time literally through time by the mm-hmm. end of this movie it's that fear and that um 
refusal to continue to live in that space of death is a thing that's coming and there's nothing you can do about it. And you've got to let go of that. And mm-hmm. I think, which is like the heart of the movie. And at the end of the day, it's like, it is the performance in this movie that I think is so strong. And like, as much as I'd like to put like a FX shot as the criteria moment or this or that, it's like, it's the performances I think that like ground the whole thing. So mm-hmm. the scene where he confronts her death. Yeah. Nice. I would probably say the, when the conquistador gets to the tree and then is just like, he drinks like all of the sap and then like bursts, dies and like bursts out into a bunch of flowers. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds crazy in description, but that is what right. happens. Yeah. I love, see, isn't this yeah. a great movie? What well, because it's just like my, I was very interested in like all of the characters in this film, but you, I did find myself being like quite frustrated with, um, Hugh, like Tom, Tommy Creo's mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. Cause it's just, you see this wife who kind of like needs him and he's just like, not wanting to deal with it because he's just like on the brink of this like breakthrough and he thinks he's going to save her. And it's just that idea. Cause I'm like, I obviously understand that like as humans, one of the biggest things that we'll battle with is like the kind of uncertainty that is, or well, sorry, the certainty that is death, but like the uncertainty thereafter. And it's just kind of, I don't know. I like that moment. Cause it kind of like tells it as a cautionary tale Yeah, so that is my moment. My criterion moment, I think, is the end, the ending after Mm -hmm. uh, just when he's Space Tom is is floating up, climbing towards uh, the the collapsed star. I think, like, visually, it's so cool. Like, I already called it the music. I think Clint Manziel is just as important to Darren Aronofsky films as Darren Mm. Aronofsky is. Yeah, and Matthew uh, Lubitzik as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and that at that moment, like, they're firing on all cylinders. Uh, it looks really cool. That's sort of the moment where, like, you're kind of waiting for, you know? Like, you're waiting for, like, what's going to happen when you reach the star? And I think they knock it out of the park. Yeah, everything culminates sort of to that point, right? It's like, it's his awakening or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it reminds me of, I mean, <clears throat> I think there's some obvious influence here, but I, it really reminded me of the Stargate sequence in 2001 The Space Odyssey. Mm, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's, you know... I think it's pretty similar there in terms of like feel and tone and the yeah. way it comes in the, where it comes in the movie. And I think it works really well. So that oh. would be it for me. Nice. Love it. Love it. All right. So I will kick off the satellite picks. Um, if you're listening for the first time, our satellite picks is when we choose a movie or another piece of content that we think pairs well with the film we discussed. I was thinking when I was watching it, like what's another movie that sort of conceptualizes how someone accepts death or someone accepts mortality uh and i kept going back to pan's labyrinth uh so pan's labyrinth is is my pick uh guillermo del toro's pan's labyrinth um if you haven't seen it it's about a girl it takes place in the spanish revolution uh a girl is her step her mother is getting wed or is married to a like uh spanish fascist fascist general uh and she kind of escapes from her as you do (laughs) and she kind of escapes (laughs) from her problems by befriending this fawn named Pan and goes down into this world of adventure. So yeah, I think that, that, that made sense to me in my head. Um, to Good one. Yeah. Sweet. Boom. What about you? Um, so I, for my pairing, I took like a similar, similar trajectory as you Ian and kind of went the death, the death route. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I picked uh Gaspar Noe's 
Enter the Void. Mm-hmm. Nice pick. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. It's just like an interesting exploration of death or like life after death. It's also very experimental and gritty. <laughs> yeah. the, t- the title <laughs> sequence alone is like absolutely wild um, and has like influenced a lot of people that we, um, yeah, just like in- influenced a lot of people. And if you haven't seen it, it's basically just, this guy who is, I believe, on the drug DMT and he's dies, like he's shot, and then proceeds to, you proceed to like figure out the story of his life while he is like in the afterlife, kind of just like floating around and like living through memories, and then also like watching over his sister in present time. It's a wild ride. So yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. That's pick. awesome. Uh catch all you. Just, to, just like to point out, the movie is not about death; it's about love. Okay, so yeah, it's about yeah, accept, yeah. acceptance of death. No, it is. It is. Yeah. I'm just being an everlasting dick. love, and that they'll be together yeah. forever. Like in the end, when like he dies, like he does dies, and then the tree like is re oh, relives re- and then re- dies. Re- yeah, oh, it gets blown up. Oh god, so good. Okay, so uh, pairing. I was thinking about a bunch of stuff. Um, I thought about sunshine maybe because it's sci-fi and it's fun. Um, Similar but, co- nasty ass color palette. But, oh, <laughs> I'm just man, kidding. I'm kidding. Wow. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't Holy kick me crap. off this podcast, guys. Never. Never. This. <laughs> Never. <laughs> no, that's amazing. Um, but then I um, opened up my graphic novel of the fountain and was mm-hmm. reading it, mm-hmm. and you know, it's this. It's the original story that was supposed to be the seventy million dollar story. And what I really found was, I don't. If you've ever seen two thousand one, it's quite a trippy movie, mm-hmm. and there's a lot that you sort of interpret. And if you read the same book that was written by the guy who helped write it, and they were made at the same time, Arthur C. Clarke. Bo- Arthur C. Clarke. Um, that the book is just a lot more straightforward and gives you all of the facts more plainly. Mm-hmm. And I think what's really nice about the graphic novel is it does a sort of similar thing where it feels like the same movie with a little bit more of a grander scale, but it gives you all a little bit, sprinkles a little bit of extra in there. So it sort of brings it all together a little bit more. And so if you love the movie and you need, you want to try and explore it in a different way, the fountain, the graphic novel, and it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's nice. so good. Yeah. yeah. I, I haven't read it. Um, I want to add it after I did some research. You, on this and found out. So. I'm almost certain because I've read it previously. I don't know if it's still there, but Hoopla, the free like library yeah. app that has like comics and stuff yeah. you can download, it's on Hoopla. So okay. you don't even have to buy it. You could just rent it and watch, look it at on your iPad or or your smartphone. So nice. I'll do that. Yeah. So those were our Criterion moments and satellite picks. Now we have one email this week to discuss the fountain and if you want to shoot us an email or a voicemail for our upcoming episodes like the flight crew selection episode coming next week uh you can shoot us an email at synodotspod at gmail.com voicemail there too or you can hit us up on instagram at synodots also on twitter this email comes from our friend jonesy loves beer uh dear friend jonesy loves beer I love you, Jonesy. Greetings, Ian and Boom. Hope you're all doing well. It's a shame. My first letter to you must be an intervention for your third host. <laughs> Catcher. <laughs> oh, no. Not on his birthday. I know. Yes. Catcher, Michael, listen to me. 
The Fountain is not a good movie. (laughs) (laughs) I understand the visuals are beautiful. Hey, look, I agree. You see, we have a common ground. But the plot of the movie is sus. It's like, what if a J.J. Abrams mystery box got an entire movie and at the end, whammo, we will tell you nothing and you take it and like it. This movie is about reincarnation, question mark? Or is it just Wolverine riding a space tree? I love you. But this movie is, man... No was easier to understand, and that movie was more confusing than the final season of Lost. I still love and support you (laughs) with kind regards. Jonesy loves beer. I will tell you right now, there's no person on planet Earth that I would allow to speak such hatred except Jonesy loves beer. (laughs) He's my brother, and I love that man to pieces. So I accept your review, Jonesy, as I accept all people's reviews of all movies. Because you're enlightened and you're ready. But he's wrong, so that's just how that goes. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thanks, Josie. Thank I you, appreciate Jonesy. it. Hopefully, the next time you email or voicemail in, it'll be uh, something you're not going to have to destroy Catcher over. Anyway, this was fun. Catcher, was this everything you, you were hoping and dreaming? Yeah, it was. Like, it's just fun. I just want the excuse to talk about the movie. Like, you guys could <laughs> yeah. have hated it, and I would have been equally as fine to like chat that out with you guys. That you guys did enjoy it just makes the situation easier for me to bear. Uh, but I, I just, yeah, I just think it's a cool movie to talk about. And it's fun to, to, it was a fun thing for me to live through and dissect. And I just wanted to do it with other people. So thanks for joining me on this mission. Of course. That's, this no was a fun problem, mission. buddy. Yeah, it was a fun one. Fun addition. I'm excited. And I'm yes. excited for, I know it's going to be like, who knows when it'll happen, but I'm excited for Ian's first edition, whatever that. <laughs> we'll see. I'll, I'll have to choose wisely. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for our first Synonauts flight crew selection. Uh, mm-hmm. Go to over to our Instagram. Rumor is Catcher is going to make some awesome art for us. And I'm saying this on the air so that he has to do it. So yeah. that if we don't get it, he will hear it from everyone else. But I'm looking forward to that. Fault. <laughs> I'm, I'm, so, I'm so excited to do it. This is great. I'm excited. Yeah. Boom Catcher. Great as always. I'll miss you dearly, and I will talk to you soon. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Love you. Bye, guys.